Today we're going to read all of Psalm 119. I'm teasing. Uh, it'll be all of Psalm 19. Um, so let us hear what the word of the Lord has to say. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of, the, of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have given your people to Jesus. And Jesus, you have died for your people. In spirit, you have raised your people to newness of life. And may uh, God, may your word penetrate our hearts. May our hearts be filled with your truth, and may that truth cause us to repent of our sins and our idolatries, and may we live forevermore to glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. I mean, as far as San Diego's, San Diegans are concerned, you guys are pretty brave to drive in the rain. I'm, I'm so uh, impressed that you made it today. If you're new, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been going through a series based on the book of Psalms called the Songs of, of Jesus, and um, I want to I start with this. I have not met anybody yet, I mean, maybe they exist, I have not met anybody yet that hates music. Now, I've met all kinds of people that hate a certain band or a certain type of music, but everybody has their own music that they love. Each of us have our own taste, right? And when we hear our favorite music or our favorite song uh, on the radio, at the restaurant, or wherever it is that, it, that it's playing, you catch yourself, it kind of overcomes you to the point where even without thinking about it, you start to maybe sing along with it, or maybe you uh, start to dance or bounce or whatever. I can't sing or dance, so I bounce a little bit, right? When my, when my daughter's with me in the car and she, she's playing her music through our system, one of my favorite things to do that she doesn't like is when we're at a stoplight, I kind of pump the brakes to the beat and she's like going like this. She's like, Dad, I'm like, it's funny. <laughs> music has a way of moving us, whether we want it to or not. 
Psalm 19 is a song. And it's a song, it's music, about the word of God. And Psalm 19 tells us about how perfect and beautiful and life-giving the word of God is. And we know that Psalm 19 about God's word is a song because at the very top, we are given words that describe it as such where it says this. It says, there it is, to the choir master, a psalm of David. This Psalm 19 about God's word being a song, the fact that it is a song impresses upon me that in a sense, when we hear God's word, when we read God's word, when we recite God's word in, in a worship service, when, when we read it on our own, when we pray it back to God, when we hear it preached, we should expect it to move us in a similar way that good music does. That's, the, that's what's supposed to happen in our, in our hearts, in, in, our, in our soul. And, and I see this uh, it, more evident than anybody else I know. I see it more evident in my wife, Shannon, when she's reading at home. She's reading the Bible, and she's like giggling, or she's crying. Or she'll say, oh, Matt, you got to hear what I just read. Um, it, it, Shannon is just one of my best examples that God has put in my life what it looks like to have a real down-to-earth faith that's not fake, that's not shallow, but it's real. And that encourages me. That's a gift to me. And, and, and verse 7 says, God's word is perfect, reviving the soul. Now here's the thing. One of the things that upsets me more than almost anything else is that when religious people have used God's word to manipulate others for their own purposes. It frustrates me. That is life robbing as opposed to life giving. God's word is supposed to be life giving. Just as the body needs food, the human soul needs God's word so that we can know him. And when we know him, that revives your soul. So this psalm, this song about God's word shows us three ways that God speaks to us. And if you're taking notes using the outline in your bulletin, the first one is this, that God speaks to us through his creation. Now I know, I know it's, it's, it's come, not everybody here in this room believes in God as, as creator, but, but I want to encourage you maybe to have a, a little bit of an open mind and, and look at it from the perspective of those who, who do believe in a, a God as creator and just, just maybe look at it from their perspective and, and from our perspective and consider how life-giving it is to believe and to know and to see the artistic creativity of God. The, create, the creative, artistic creativity of God in nature. You know, I've been watching um, on Netflix that series called uh, Our Planet. Have you seen? Have any of you watched Our Planet yet on Netflix? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, narrated by David Attenborough. And he just draws you into the story. And the technology of the cinematography draws you in close to see the amazing detail of creation. And Shannon's doing something in the kitchen. She hears me in the other room going, no way, that's amazing. Check this out, Shannon. She has to stop what she's doing, drop her hands, come in, check it out, whatever. Because I'm just so impressed with it. 
It, is, it, 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 it amazes me. So what we need to, to realize is that those who believe, if you believe in God as creator, we can look at these first six verses and, and know that, that, and see that the existence of God is evident in what he's made. And we see, we look at, at, at nature and we see, we see the beauty and we see the order and we see the grandeur and we see the majesty of nature and our minds and our hearts are inclined to conclude that we are not alone. It says, the heavens declare, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, God's eternal power and divine nature have given have, have clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, you know, each of us, we have our own uh, taste when it comes to art, right? We all have art that we love, whether it be music or literature or film or painting, whatever it is, that art that captures our imagination, it compels us, and in ways that we don't really fully understand, it, it, it's part of our life, part of our, our soul, right? And when you take the time to observe nature, to take it in, when you stare at the ocean, and you're, or you hike through the mountains, or you lay on your back in the grass, staring at the clouds by day and the stars at night, and see it for the art that it is, it moves you, and it compels you. You know, the best art humans create is an effort to accomplish that same, that same thing. God is the ultimate artist. The influential artist Robert Henry, a painter, said, there's never been a painting that was more beautiful than nature. And you know what this means? This means that Christians should be the greatest appreciators of God's artwork, the greatest stewards of his creation, and thoughtfully care for it. It's a very Christian thing to do. Now, with all of that said, Psalm 19 also tells us that nature is not enough. Nature is not enough to give you what you need the most, what you're longing for the most. And what we need the most, whether we know it or not, is an intimate knowledge of, of God. <sighs> Have you ever had a kid hand you a picture they drew, and it was nothing but a mess of scribbles all over the paper? And you don't say this out loud, but you think, this is the worst picture I've ever seen. I don't even know what it is. And so you say to the kid, what's this supposed to be? And he says, well, duh, it's a picture of you. Well, oh, I had no idea I looked like that to you. Now I know. It's so easy to misinterpret art. And there are plenty of artists who will create art and then tell people who are observing it that, that I will leave the interpretation up to you. Um, but if you tell them, 
I think what you're saying through your painting, through your art, is that I should take all of my old leftover paint in my garage and pour it in the near stream. That artist would say, you totally misinterpreted my art, right? Even the art created by someone as competent as God gets misinterpreted. There's nothing wrong with his artwork. Our interpretive grids are broken. So we can't just look at nature and discern everything that we need to know about God or know what it takes for us to truly flourish as God's created people. The Apostle Paul who told us that God's eternal power and divine nature are seen in what he's created, in the very next verse, he says that our foolish hearts were darkened. So we need something more, right? That's second. God speaks to us through his written word. Now, what does scripture give us that nature can't give us? Words, right? Verse 1 says, the heavens declare your glory, but verse 3 says, there is no speech, nor are there words. So we need the word of God, and why? What does the word of God provide that nature can't? The psalmist shows us three things. First, God's written word gives us light. Verse 8 says that the command, commandments of the Lord is, is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so the assumption here is that without God's word, you know, we're spiritually blind and lost in the dark. David, who wrote this psalm, was known as a man after God's own heart. Even he was deeply dependent on God's word. He says in verse 12 that who can discern his own errors? And that is a rhetorical question, but just so we're clear, the answer is nobody. We all have blind spots, right? That's tough to admit, but we see other people, we can see clearly when other, somebody else has a blind spot, right? It's more difficult to see it in ourselves. David is saying that, that we are incapable of truly seeing ourselves for who we are without an expert, like a physician, diagnosing us in our true condition. And so we need help. And God wants to help us. So he gave us his word. You know, at 25 years old, I'd look back at my 15-year-old self and think, man, I thought I knew everything. And I acted like it too. But I was an idiot. And at 35... I'd look back at my 25-year-old self and say, man, I thought I knew how to really live life, but I was an idiot. At 45, I'd look back at 35 and say, I thought I'd have it all figured out by then, but I didn't. I guess I was an idiot. So what does that pattern tell me about who I am today? There you go. That's why Shannon put, God put Shannon in my life. Um, yeah, what would my future self say? See, here's the truth. We can't discern our own errors. 
We all have blind spots. But the good news is that God's written word helps us with that. It helps us, as verse 12 says, to expose our hidden faults, to expose our our blind spots, to, to shine a light on them. Now, why in the world would we want to invite that onto ourselves? Ignorance is bliss, right? Sailing through life with no clue how much we're unnecessarily offending people or how arrogant or judgment or self-righteous and narcissistic we are, we'll take denial over the painful. There's a great document. You all know Ken Burns, the documentarian? Some of you do. He's an amazing documentarian. In one of his documentary series, he looks at the life of Samuel Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. Clemens wrote about a recurring nightmare that he had. And and he describes his nightmare as there being this this giant Bible that is open and, and, and pressing down on him and pinning him down and crushing him. It's a recurring nightmare that he had. And he described it this way. He said, In my nightmares, I grasped and struggled for breath under the crush of that vast book for many a night. Often, it seems like the Bible crushes us, especially when it's used by religious manipulators. And that is counterfeit Christianity, making everybody else think, oh, this is what Christianity was really about. But it's counterfeit Christianity, and it blinds us to the real point of the Bible and the hope that God gives us. And the Bible will destroy us if we don't see that it's lovingly diagnosing us to help us see what we need the most to help us see what is really killing us, to help us see the hope that revives our soul and the Christian hope. Listen to me. The Christian hope, especially Christians, listen to me right now. The Christian hope is only for those who can see their moral failures and who are not in denial about it. The Christian hope is only for those who can see their moral failures and are not in denial about it. Jesus put it this way. He says, I've come to call not those who think that they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, I'm here for those who know that they're not perfect and not pretty and not put together. I'm here for the broken, for those who see their need and aren't in denial about it. Pastor and author Tim Keller said said this, I love this quote, if we feel more righteous as we read the Bible, we are misreading misreading its central message. We are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us and critiques us and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. 
Galatians tells us that God's law is, is a tutor that lovingly gives us words that can be difficult to hear, but so that we can see our need for the Redeemer that heals us, the Redeemer that David is talking about here in Psalm 19. David, if you remember, King David, right? King David, the ruler of the land, he needed to be called out. We know. He needed to be called out on his lies. He needed to be called out on his misuse of power. He needed to be called out on his greed. He needed to be called out for his adultery and the murder he committed. And when he was called out, that is what made him see his need for a redeemer to rescue his soul. And we need to see our need too. And only true Christianity, only the gospel, only the good news of God's grace in Christ can give you a way out. This, it's the gospel, the good news of Christ and his grace. This is what humbles you out of your arrogance and loves you out of your self-loathing. That's why David in verse 12 can, can face his faults and then in verse 14 also see his redeemer. He's willing to be self-aware and exposed as a fraud. Most of the time, we front, we try to pretend we're better than anybody else and we just point out how worse somebody else is. Right? That's kind of par for the course. He was willing to be self-aware and exposed as a fraud. Why? Because he also knows that he's not rejected. He knows that with all of his faults, he doesn't have to hide. He's got a humility and a trust in God, knowing that God, God, he is loved by God the Father because of his Redeemer, who paid a price he could never pay. God's word gives you a light to diagnose your mess and to lovingly show you how cherished you are by God at the same time. And this written word also gives us healing. You know what? Some of us might be uh, tempted to maybe twist what I'm saying or, or tempted to think, you know what, if Christ loves me on my best day and on my worst day, then why should I have any good days at all? Why should I obey him at all? Oh, why, why go to the trouble? Why should I go to the effort? Why take God's moral law seriously at all? Why not just live however I want, doing whatever I want, with whomever I want, whenever I want? God's going to forgive me anyway, right? Well, here's, here's the weird thing about that. Here's what we probably don't think about. When we think that, consciously or subconsciously, what we're really saying is, why should I do what's best for me? I don't want to do what's best for me. Why should I do what will make me flourish? I don't feel like it. Remember verse 7? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's what God wants for you, for your whole being. You're, all that you are, your soul. See, the more you embrace the commands of God, the more fully human you are, the more of your true self you become. You know, a few years ago, um, it's all over the media now, and I was just watching a couple documentaries on it uh, yesterday. Um, it, it's all over media that, that heroin has made this, um, 
this crazy, crazy comeback, right? And you talk to people who got trapped in it, and they'll tell you that, you know, it feels harmless at first, and it, and it makes you feel better than you've ever felt before in, in, in your life. But any addict will tell you that as long as you submit to, to heroin, the more you become a zombie, and you become less of who you really are. And, and what we learn in, in situations like that, but even in the little things, the attitude that says, I can do what I want. Nobody should tell me what to do. It leads to bondage. And it's the opposite of the freedom that we're looking for. See, it's not until you put your, yourself under the word of God that you start to feel safe. And there's a reason for that. Okay, but time out. What if I don't agree with some of the things that God tells me to do or not do that are in his word. I mean, I love the part that says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's awesome. I don't do it, but that's awesome. <laughs> but when God tells me to forgive people who wrong me, or he says something crazy like sex is reserved for a husband or a wife, or that I'm, a, I'm supposed to give my money to help the poor generously and liberally, yeah, I, I don't like that. And David gets it. That's why he wants to convince us that the testimonies of the Lord is sure. It is trustworthy. You can trust it. Making wise the simple. And for me personally, I'm glad they added that part, making wise the simple. That means that even when I don't feel like what God is saying in his word is best, I can trust that it is. You all know what memes are, right? Most of you. Uh, the first service didn't know what a meme was. But that's okay. I, I, I got to tell them about it. It was educational. There's a series of, of memes called Reasons My Kid Is Crying. You've seen them? Parents take a picture of their kid crying. And then below the picture, they write something like, he's crying because I wouldn't let him drink hot sauce for a bedtime snack. She's crying because I wouldn't let her go swimming with her shoes on. Or he's crying, this is real, I wouldn't let him eat the dog's tail. She's crying because I wouldn't let her drink the toilet bowl cleaner. I, you know, I read those and I've come to the conclusion, I'm just like that. I'm just like that. There are things I want to do or not do and God has a different idea about it for my own good. God knows better and lovingly tells me no. He doesn't want to give us something that will harm us. He wants to give us something that will heal us. The third thing God's word gives us is it gives us joy. Check this out. This is, this is interesting to me. 
Um, I, I hope it is to you too. I hope you can see this. Verses 7 through 9 says, The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, uh, the, the rules of the Lord. They, they are the commands of the Lord. Now what's interesting is that in the first six verses, um, the word God is used. The name used for God is there is the Hebrew word Elohim, considered to be kind of a generic expression for the name of God in the first six verses. But then in verse 7 and following... They use a different word. It's the word for the Lord. Instead of just God, it's the Lord, which is Yahweh, the covenant God, the God who wants to be close to you. In the Gospel of John, God calls us his friends. And the Apostle Paul describes the relationship between the church and Christ as a marriage. And, and, and the word of God is, is so, I hope we see this, it is crucial to that closeness with God. It shows us how he loves us, and it shows us how we can love him. That's how we're to use the word of God. So how do you know if you love him? Is it because... Um, you don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do? Is it because, you know, you, you vote a certain way, or, or uh, you know you love God when your obedience feels more life-giving and less coercive. Uh, we start, we know you love God when you start to enjoy God telling us what to do. Now, I know that sounds weird. Like, how does that happen? Let me, let me try to, you know, uh, Mother's Day was not, like last week, right? Was it last week? I wanted Shannon to tell me what, you know, we could do might be extra special for her and help her feel extra loved and cherished. And she told me, and when she did, it made me happy, right? I wasn't like, well, forget you. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> no, I was like happy, right? Why? Because I love her. David, speaking of God's word and what God wants, says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, than even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. See, people who love and respect each other have an attitude that says, your, your wish is my command. Even if it's not my love language, I want to bring you joy, Right? We may not even like whatever it is, but you do it because you love them. I did not enjoy changing my kids' poopy diapers, but I did. Why? Because I love them. And I'm really glad that phase is over. <laughs> Should be. They're 21 and 18. That would be a problem. We know we love God when we do what God wants, not just when we agree with him, or when it feels good. But it's when we do what God wants, even when it's costly or feels like it costs our very life. 
And it still feels like we're singing like the psalmist is here. So how in the world do we get there? It's our last point, a short point, but it's the main point. God speaks to us through Jesus and his gospel. Now, how can we ever begin to love God and find joy in obeying him? Even when it's costly to us or it feels like it costs us the the life that we've always imagined or or think that we need. So that, that his commands are like honey to us as opposed to something that crushes us. Well, we have to see that all of God's word is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, who he is, what he's done, and what he's, he's doing. John the Apostle uh, tells us in, in um, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us because he loved us. And this is who David is crying out for in verse 14 when he says, my redeemer, and the redeemer he's singing about is Jesus. We know this because Jesus tells us. When Jesus encounters a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, it says that Jesus opened the scriptures with them. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he started to explain to them everything that the scriptures had to say concerning him. His life and his sacrificial death and his grace to make all things new to renew your heart, to renew your life, to renew the world. All of the scriptures are about Jesus. And how is Psalm 19 about Jesus? There's several ways. First of all, the commandments of God have always been sweet to him, like honey, even when it was costly. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was crucified, crucifixion that would bring redemption. He prays, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, save me from this crucifixion if it's all possible. If there's another way to do it, let's do that. But not as I will, as you will. He didn't, he's not a masochist. He didn't want to suffer, but he was willing to suffer. Paul says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is why you should love him. In love for God and in love for you, Jesus did what he did not want to do to give you life, to bring renewal. He sacrificed himself to save you. He took the punishment for your sin so that you could be reunited with the Father. He died so that you could live. He was sentenced so that you could be truly free. He took you out of what is killing you and places you in what makes you flourish and thrive. Jesus was willing to absorb the justice of God so that you could hear the song of God. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. In him there is no flaw. Every word he spoke, every meditation of his heart was pleasing in the sight of an all-holy God. And Jesus is the perfect redeemer. And his perfection covers your imperfection and mine. 
I, I read a quote the other day. It was a good reminder. It says something along the lines of, if you point out people's sin without giving them the gospel of God's grace, the message of who Jesus is and what he's done. If you, if you point out people's sin without giving the gospel, how does that make you any different than the devil? And it's so easy to fall into that same way of thinking and communicating and call it Christian. The whole Bible is about who Jesus is and what he's done. It gives us a painful diagnosis that we desperately need and then he brings healing to our heart and life. He lived a life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And if we trust him for that, if he put, I mean, what else does he have to do to prove that we can trust him? All you got to do is look at the cross, right? He proved how much he loves you. And if you put your trust in him, Mark Twain's nightmare will never be yours. The word of God is no longer a burden that crushes us. It becomes music that revives our soul because he brings us to King Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?